Today we are uh, actually going to be getting into the idea of hospitality and talking about how it's a, resist, it's a way for us to resist the fear of others. And it's sort of a, a tool that we get to use as Christians. It's something that should define who we are and something that should be part of what our, um, our life is, is like as Christians as we live in this culture. And, and I want to say uh, a couple things. Like, so a few years ago I, I went to Mexico um, and when I was there, we stayed in the homes of people who were part of the church. It was really cool that we didn't just like bunk at the church or like, you know, get a hotel or something, but we actually stayed with the people who were part of the church. And it was a kind of a cultural exchange, you know, you kind of learned kind of the things that were important to them and the rituals that they had. And you were, they kind of just brought you into, to things. Um, and the family I stayed with had kids at varying ages all the way down to like, they had a four-year-old, and they had like a 20-year-old, and so it was like kind of a cool, you got to see all the different stratifications, and they had grandma and grandpa living there, and it was pretty, pretty cool to be part of that. Um, but one of the things that we were taught when we like went into these people's homes was don't uh, tell them that you like anything they own. Like don't compliment anything in their home. And I was like, this feels wrong. I feel like I want to compliment all the things about their home. Like, I, hey, that painting is amazing, right? And they said, if you compliment anything they own, they're going to take it off the wall and hand it to you. They're going to try to give it to you, right? So, like, the hospitality thing is so high in Mexico that if you are in someone's house and you tell them you like something that they have, they're going to give you that thing. So, like, you could tell them you like the rituals they have as a family or the things that they're doing or how, they're, you know, how they operate as a family, but don't compliment any physical object because you're going home with it, right? And there's no way for you to say no because once they take that thing off the wall and they hand it to you, like, they're not going to let you leave unless you take it with you, right? So we had to like, be really careful <laughs> what we were actually, how we were talking to the families that we were living with. And, and I realized really quickly that the spirit of hospitality that they had was nothing like anything in the United States. I think somewhere along the way we lost, we lost some of this spirit of hospitality, this sort of way of living. We're kind of closed off. Um, I, I know generally one of the really cool things about technology, you know, I put in one of those video doorbells, and I love it. Because if someone comes to my house that I don't want to talk to, they're trying to sell me something or whatever, then I can see them on the screen and then I can just be like, no thanks, and then just turn it off and don't go to the door and I can avoid having anybody try to sell me anything. I'm not home, you know, whatever. Like you're, in, you're hiding in your bedroom, you know, but telling the person that you're not there. Because um, I feel like sometimes we just are like not really excited about opening the door to a, a random person. Um, also, one of the really fun things about having that video doorbell is that I had some middle schoolers come to my house, and they were trying to raise money for their football team, and I just recorded the entire conversation that they had in between. Like, so Miles goes to the door, opens it up, and they're like, hey, we're here for, you know, we're trying to raise money for football. He goes, okay, hold on, and he just closes the door on them, and they're both standing there, and then he runs upstairs to get one of us. And the two kids are like, Did, should we leave? Like, um, should we wait? Is someone coming? What do you think? I don't know. And then they're having this conversation. And then it, like, kind of transitions to what middle school boys talk about quite a bit. Um, and some of that was really fun to watch. So I don't think they, like, realized. Uh, no. <laughs> um, 
But I think we've lost something, right? When the doorbell rings, I don't think we're, like, excited anymore. We don't think, like, that's a neighbor or, like, we think that's somebody trying to sell us stuff. In fact, it's almost unneighborly to bother somebody by going to their door now. And that just feels like it's something has been lost uh, in the United States. Even uh, in, my, I, in my travel for missions, I spent, uh, I had three trips to Albania and worked with some missionaries there that I'm friends with and, you know, have had a relationship with for quite a long time. And um, we had, they had taken us up into the, into the mountains for this uh, kind of this little gathering of people. And me and the missionary, we were like the honored guests. So it was really cool. We were like in this very, um, uh, it was sort of like outside of the city, up on this mountain. We kind of had a view of the city of what was going on. They had taken their... Um, celebratory drinks uh, that they were drinking, and they had put them into this, like, brook that was running right through, right next to the table that they had set up, and the brook was, like, ice cold, and so it was, like, chilling the sodas that they had there. Um, and so first they're passing those around, and the missionaries just, like, do drink and eat whatever they give you. And I was like, okay. So I'm drinking soda on this mission trip, and we're all celebrating and having a great time, and they're doing this kind of like, uh, I think the missionary had paid for the, the meal and stuff, and so they're just doing this as a celebratory thing. And, and they, they stopped the meal, and they pulled, they had this goat that, that we were eating, and they pulled something out of this goat from somewhere that, like, I don't know what it was. And it was this little round thing, and they said, like, this is, like, very special, it's very honored that we want to give this to the person who's here, who's the honored guest. And so, and the missionary, you could see on his face, he's like, I'm not eating that. <laughs> I was like, but this guy will. So they hand it to me, and I kind of took it, and then my head is like, just eat or drink whatever they give you. Just eat or drink whatever they give you. And so I just like kind of looked, and they're all like doing this, and I just down the hatch, and it was uh, very fatty. That's all I can say about it. It was very gross. And I kind of just swallowed it and smiled. And the missionary was like, I can't believe you ate that. They were all laughing hysterically like this was a practical joke that they pulled on foreigners. It was fantastic. But like I, the spirit of hospitality that I felt in that moment, right, when, when they kind of set up this celebration, they had this like joke they're playing on the missionary from out of town, like this whole thing. To me, that was even a moment where I felt like this is hospitality I haven't felt in the United States. There's something wrong with how things are set up here. There's something wrong with us. Like, we don't have the spirit of hospitality the way that a lot of other foreign countries do. They still value it in a different way than we do. In my own neighborhood, my, uh, the lady who's the, um, I don't know, neighborhood watch captain, so I didn't know there was a captain, <laughs> um, she takes it so seriously, and she has drawn up this map of every single person on our street and all of their contact info. And she goes around and hands these out every year, updated, and makes sure that everybody has everybody else's connection. And I can tell you, in the two years that I've lived there, not one person has ever contacted like us personally to invite us over or to check in. Like, there hasn't been a moment where we've, where we've used that information. That's enough out of you, OK? Aaron, if he opens his mouth again, just, just that's, you, you have my permission. Uh, gen- gently, don't leave a mark, don't leave a mark. Uh, 
I just think we're missing it. And I, here's the thing. It might not be a big deal from a secular perspective that we don't necessarily do hospitality very well anymore. But I think it's a huge deal as Christians if we don't do hospitality really well. It's a missed opportunity for us. Um, I'm, re I'm reading some research and been kind of working on a few ideas on what our church could do moving forward in some of these areas. But one of the things that it said in the research um, was that as Christians, we often catastrophize the idea that people are leaving the church. And we, we, we think that like the biggest reason why people leave the church is that um, they are, you know, so the church has hurt them or they've gone through some sort of abuse situation or they are having these huge faith struggles or they've kind of walked away from their faith. And we, we all can think of people that are in that category. It's not like we should ever ignore that. But they actually had done some research and they had said one of the major reasons why people leave is, is actually much simpler and smaller reasons why people leave the church. And a lot of them are down to things that are transitional, like when people move, that is actually the most common reason why people don't go back, they just don't go back to church. So that's the most common reason why someone leaves the church in general is because they move and they don't reestablish themselves in a new church. It's not a catastrophe. There's not a faith problem. It wasn't that they went through any sort of difficult situation or that they lost their faith and, or there's this active reason to hate God. It's just that they moved and didn't get into a new rhythm. A couple of other reasons are similar to that. It's like, hey, you, this family just started traveling sports and they just sort of drifted away from the church. And they said some of the, those categories of people, the most common way to like get someone reconnected is just they just need a personal invite from someone who's keeping track of them or paying attention to them. Hey, I've missed you. Or hey, you, you moved and got reconnected into community. Hey, you want to come and join us? Or like, hey, you're a new coworker or you're new in my kid's school. Hey, why don't you come and join us at church? Just an invite would make the difference. They said there's another group of people where it's just sharing your table in your home, having them over and, and connecting with them would be the thing that would make the difference. Like not very difficult things, but things that we would have sort of nailed down if we had sort of a, a spirit of hospitality, and especially the spirit of hospitality that I think God puts on display for us. And so today I just kind of want to build a case that maybe there's an opportunity in your life to be more hospitable, to use the resources that you have to reach out to people, to think about people in a way that allows you to kind of be the person who makes the invite or be the person who uses your home to welcome people in or be the person that connects people even more deeply in a church setting because you are living with the spirit of hospitality. And so let's talk about this. Hospitality first, this is the first kind of concept here we're going to deal with, is fueled by God's love for us. And often, uh, people want to focus on uh, topics or questions or they get kind of riled up about certain specific hot-button issues that, like, the Bible actually doesn't really say very much about them. Like, sometimes they'll be like, hey, let's, I want to talk about this really hot-button issue, and, uh, you know, this, I need to know what the Bible has to say about this. And the Bible, it says something about it, but it's actually not, like, all the way through Scripture. It's sometimes a little confused. It kind of says this in one place and this in another place, and we have to put these things together and understand how we're supposed to operate as Christians. Sometimes it's difficult to put all the pieces together to figure it out. There's all, oftentimes not enough for us to make a really strong statement about certain things that people want us to make really strong statements about, and it's difficult. 
And it changes over time, the way that we read it and understand it, the way that we understand the scripture more, it kind of changes. But hospitality is not one of those things. Hospitality is a byline through the entirety of scripture, starting in the Old Testament and working its way through the nation of Israel and into all of the covenant people who are added to it in the New Testament. Hospitality is one of those things that we see a consistent byline all through scripture that God wants us to think about this. And so hospitality is fueled by God's love for us. And I want to go all the way back to Exodus and Leviticus. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. But here are two unbelievable passages that God is training Israel to be full of hospitality for others. And this is what he says. Uh, verse 21, Exodus, of, Exodus 22, verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear that cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. That's pretty intense. That God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand, you were saved from captivity. You were a foreigner. You were an alien. You were an other. You were an outsider. The word hospitality literally translates to love of others. Okay? And it connects to the words love. It's brotherly love, like the city of Philadelphia, which, by the way, are the least like loving people in the entire world. Uh, uh, just the sports fans especially are the worst. Um, if I've offended you, just sit with that. Okay? It's Philadelphia, and then the other is actually a word connected to xenophobia, if you've ever heard that, fear of others, right? The word xenophobia and the word in the word for hospitality, it's the same word, other. So it's love of others instead of fear of others. Xenophobia would be fear of others. Philoxenia would be the love of others. That's what, where we get the word hospitality. It's literally saying People who aren't like you, who are foreigners, who are aliens. This is like the, the conversation we had last week where Jesus is telling the story about the party and he says, hey, go out to the alleyways and to the streets and find the, the beggars, the poor, the cripple, the lame, the, and bring them into my party. And they come back and they say, hey, there's, other, there's still room. What should we do? And then he sends them out for the others, which are outside of the city, right? So he sends them out to the country lanes and out to the, the byways that go to other places. And he says, go find those people and bring them in. That word for others is the word that Jesus uses in that same section to say, go get these people and bring them into my, my party. I want to fill it up and I want to fill it up with others. Right? When Jesus is sort of teaching us the way that we should live, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and and the second is like it, you should love others the way that you want to be loved. Like, love other people the way that you want to receive that same love from them. That this idea of others is all throughout his teaching. And even from the beginning, even from Israel, he's saying hospitality is fueled by the fact that God reached us when we were others. To Israel, he says, while you were in captivity, I reached in and got you. And the New Testament says to us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and reached out to us while we were others. He draw, drew us into relationship with him. That the hospitality is fueled by God's love for us. He says it again in Leviticus. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. 
The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I have spoken. Right? So he says to them, hey, I want you to treat them as your native born. There was no culture on earth that was doing this. It was might makes right at that time. It was the powerless were the ones that suffered and the powerful were the ones that took advantage. And here comes a nation that God is setting apart and saying, no, you're going to be marked by hospitality, by love of others. You're going to treat them as though they were your native born. He instructs Israel not to take every single piece of their land as they reap the harvest, but to leave the edges unreaped and basically allow for foreigners to come in and be able to feed themselves. He says, when you go through your grapes and your vineyards, he's like, leave the ones on the ground for people to come and pick up and eat. Leave some of the ones on the vines. Don't go through it again a second time and a third time and a fourth time for yourself. Just leave some up there so people who are foreigners can come and they can eat at you, on your family's vines. Like This is what God was teaching his people to do. And so as we kind of fight that fear of others, the kind of way that God has called us to do that is to live in this in this way of hospitality, in this love for others. But we have not really done this very well, I would say, as individuals, as Americans, as people who live in this century, also probably as the church, the Big C Church. In fact, what we practice in the Big C Church is not a radical hospitality often. What we practice is a conditional hospitality. We love others like us. Just, I want you to let that sink in for a second. If you're not necessarily uncomfortable with your hospitality, I don't think you're doing it the way that God has laid it out. And when we practice conditional hospitality, in other words, loving people like us, we don't break down the barriers between people. If anything, we crystallize the borders between people. We say, I'm going to love these people who are like me, but not you. And that tells them that the church doesn't love me, that God doesn't love me, that there's no room for me. It's when we practice unconditional hospitality that we deconstruct, or as Ephesians puts it, tear down the wall between groups of people. When we make room for individuals in our lives that make us uncomfortable, and we find ways to love them even though we are afraid, that radical hospitality breaks down the walls and deconstructs those barriers between us and other people. And that hospitality is fueled by God's love for us, and that hospitality should define us. In the New Testament, we see this this byline through Paul's writing. And what's crazy about it is if you research kind of all the places where hospitality is named specifically, there's like three specific main passages. All of them come near the end of Paul's letter where Paul is speaking to a group of people or in the case of Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews, if it's not Paul, we're not really sure exactly who wrote Hebrews, but if it's not Paul, it's the same place. It's at the end of the book. It's, it's when the section of sort of the, the conclusion of the letter is being written, and generally it's in a section where they're listing off all the things that you should be doing, that you're either encouraging people to continue to do. So like, 
It's in sections where like, hey, love one another and be generous and, you know, work on marriages, make sure they're strong and like, you know, treat people the way that it's great. You know, worry about the widows and orphans and, um, oh, and also practice hospitality. Like it's just thrown in there as though it would be among the like main things of what it means to be Christian, as if, as if hospitality is one of the things that defines you as a believer in Jesus, right? And so in uh, Romans chapter 12, the very end of the, the letter to the Roman church, Paul shares, he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Also, a lot of the times when you see them talking about hospitality, he says first, hey, take care of the, the people around you, the people that you, you go to church with, the people that you're in relationship with, and then practice hospitality. These are two different ideas, right? And they go together, weirdly enough, often when they're talked about. As in, don't neglect caring for one another, but also, together, you guys should be caring for those who are outside or the others in your, in your neighborhoods. So you just share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And that word practice, it literally means what you think it means. It means you should be trying this and working on it, becoming better at the idea of hospitality. And I would tell you, it's not natural. Maybe you grew up in a house, by the way, where your parents were unbelievably hospitable and taught you how to be really great to other people. And so maybe you have that spirit in you. Or maybe you have this gift. Maybe the gift that you like to create environments where people feel comfortable, you like to invite people in. Maybe it's natural for some of you to do this. But we're all called to do it, whether it's natural and whether we had people that taught us how to do it. We're supposed to be practicing this, trying to get better at it, trying to use this as a tool to reach people who don't feel like they connect in the kingdom of God. And so that's what God has called us to do. It should define us as Christians the same way that generosity defines us, the same way that love defines us, the same way that taking care of the fatherless and the widows among us defines us. Hospitality should be one of those things. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. There's that thing again. Hey, take care of the people that you go to church with, that you're connected in community with. But do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, hey, you may even be entertaining angels when you are practicing hospitality and reaching out to people and connecting with them and creating environments for them to feel comfortable. And the thing is, I don't know if you're actually entertaining angels every single time, but I do know that when you practice hospitality, you are absolutely doing that for Jesus. Right? When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to one day, I'm going to judge people and I'm going to split them apart. I'm going to have the sheep on one side and the goats on the other and the sheep are the people who are following me, and the goats are the ones that have rejected me. He said, I'm going to say to the, to the, the sheep, the ones that I, I'm going to allow into the kingdom of heaven and I'm going to judge in a, in a way that will serve them in eternity, he says to them, because when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was in prison, you, you visited me. Always when we're practicing hospitality, we're doing it as if it were Jesus sitting in front of us. And the writer of Hebrews says, and sometimes you may even be entertaining angels. I don't know, I don't know what, what that exactly means, but it sounds pretty cool. It sounds like if we're living this way, there's going to be some really great things that come out of it. 
that if we're reaching out to people on an active basis, if we're showing hospitality to people who feel like they are others, who feel like they're excluded, who feel like they're on the outside, that's pretty amazing. Last idea is Jesus extended and received hospitality. He didn't just extend it, and he didn't just receive it. He both extended and received. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 19. In Luke, by the way, it's, this would be fun to read Luke and think of it in this way. Uh, one theologian says, in Luke, every single passage is Jesus either coming from a meal, going to a meal, or at a meal. That this is the most hospitable book, right? This shows Jesus' uh, ministry for what it was, not necessarily focusing on the large group gatherings, but focusing on the tables that he sat at and the people that he entertained hospitably. Right? It's him making room for people that people judged him for eating with on both sides of the aisle, on super rich, noble, like religious people and people who are complete outcasts and others in society, that he did both of these things. And in this uh, situation, Danny, uh, Danny, Jesus has a meal with Danny DeVito. That was what was in my head right now. <laughs> Follow me here for a second. Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho was, uh, think Beverly Hills. Like Jericho was a very rich, well-off place. A lot of powerful people lived there. A lot of rich people lived there. So Jesus is kind of entering into that sort of Beverly Hills, New York City kind of area. And, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. By the, way, by the way, I don't think people always understand. They talk about Zacchaeus being a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He's the worst of the worst of the worst in their society. You want to talk about an outcast? We don't even have a category today that I could help you understand. This would be like as he was as cut off from society as like a pedophile, a terrorist. Uh, We don't even have categories that make a lot of sense, but it would have been everybody in society would have looked at him and would have been disgusted. Not only was he sort of taking advantage of people, but he was taking advantage of the people who were taking advantage of people in their society. Not even tax collectors love Zacchaeus. Nobody loves Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't showing hospitality to anyone because nobody was accepting his invite. Like he was the other, 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 other in society. And also he was very, very short. And this story is all about how Jesus loved short people too. If you're short, I just want you to know. Read this and feel good about it. Um, so he was a tax collector, and he was very, very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. I think maybe he heard about Jesus because Matthew was a tax collector, and he began to follow Jesus. And Matthew had thrown a party with all of his friends, probably a lot of tax collectors there, and it was probably going through the tax collector ranks. Hey, man, Jesus will accept you. Like, it's just, he's a cool guy. Like, you should get to know him. And so he's going to see who Jesus is. And it says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. He saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself over to the richest guy's house. And you could say that's very like, self-serving. But in fact, what Jesus was saying to the entire crowd of incredibly wealthy, well-off people in that area is, I came to make others feel comfortable and be accepted in my kingdom. I came to create space and room 
even if I have to invite myself into their lives, I'll do that to create room for people who you don't have room for. And they could be as bad as you could possibly come up with, and I'm still going to give them a chance, and I'm still going to create space for them, and I'm still going to welcome them into my kingdom, especially if they have that heart change that I'm looking for. And so he invites himself in. He shows Zacchaeus hospitality by receiving Zacchaeus' hospitality. It's kind of a crazy thing. Like, you know, like last week I, I mentioned curried goat in my sermon and then did my best to invite myself over to Gurley's house to have curried goat. And it didn't work yet. Um, but I'm, I'm available I'm avail- a couple nights this week if you guys want to uh, have me over. Um, he invites himself over. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he comes down and once, at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus doesn't know what it's like to not be an other. And now he's been made someone who is able to access the kingdom of God that Jesus has been offering. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You're doing hospitality right when you're spending time with others that no one else wants to spend time with. When you're reaching to people and trying to create space for them where they just don't fit. In fact, there's, it's unlikely they'll ever walk into a church and go to a church service. It might be more likely in a community center that they would walk in and go to a church service, but some of these times we're reaching out to people who just won't show up to church and we're inviting them into our home. When Israel was in captivity in Babylon, one of the things that they did and why this was so important in Jesus' day, who you ate with, is there was no temple and there was no priest and there was no altar, right, because they had been taken by captive to another land and were living in a place where they weren't able to worship the way that they had always worshipped. And so what they did in their religious system is they created the table as the altar, the home as the synagogue, and the father in the home as the priest. And they kind of turned the temple system into something that people could practice in their own homes. That when you actually broke bread with somebody at a table, that was an altar to God in that moment. And this had followed them when they came out of captivity back to Jerusalem. Even today, if you know uh, a Hasidic Jew, uh, and in fact, when I lived in New York, I I knew many of them because we were kind of in Rockland County. It was one of the places where there was lots and lots of Hasidic Jews. And they are all considered rabbis. All the men would consider themselves a rabbi. They file taxes as though they were rabbis. Because in their home, they are a priest, and their table is an altar inside of their synagogue, which is their home. And when you shared a meal with somebody in that day, you were saying, I'm inviting this person to come and be equal to me. Like, I think there is something that we miss because our tables maybe aren't that intense, but what Jesus is doing here, right here, is he's saying, you are welcome into relationship with me. I'm not going to look down on you. We're going to be the same in this moment. What we're doing as Christians when we invite people into our home is saying, hey, I got stuff too. You don't have to be perfect because I'm not perfect. Whatever you're bringing into the, uh, this relationship or whatever, like to me, that's, that's fine because I got stuff too that I'm working on. I'm not perfect and I haven't arrived. And I'm creating equality with that other person, looking them in the eyes and giving them dignity and inviting them in. And that's what it looks like to be living in a hospitable way, the way that God has called us to, to live. And what does it do? It disarms people. 
It makes them rethink them themselves. All the people are judging Jesus, but he knows exactly what he's doing. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Zacchaeus says, I have tried to worship wealth, and it doesn't work, and I want out. And I will radically change my life because you've received me and shown me what it looks like to receive mercy. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what is lost. Luke 19, Jesus on his way to another meal. So how do we make hospitality part of our rhythm? Uh, This is something that we have thought long and hard about given the fact that we moved into a new house two years ago and felt like God had given us this house and it's a long story and I'd love to tell you sometime, but felt like we would want to use it in ways that reach other people. And we've been, in some way, we've been very thoughtful about how we use our home and how we invite people into our lives. And we've uh, specifically invited a lot of Marty's coworkers into our lives and talked with them a whole lot about their spiritual situations and what churches they go to and where they're at with God. And it just kind of always comes up because I'm a pastor and I just like to talk about it and I just bring it up. But I want you to know this can be something that you do too. And it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are unsaved. It could be people who are unconnected, who need just an encouragement to come back and be part of what's going on. You could probably scroll through your phone right now and come up with 10 people who you know aren't connected anywhere who could really use a church that would love them. Here's a couple ideas for you. First, be curious, especially when you're meeting somebody other, other, other. Like somebody who has no place in church, doesn't want to be part of church, has never stepped into a church. Be curious. Ask amazing questions. Don't necessarily start with, hey, if you were going to die tonight, what would, what would happen? Don't pull your Bible out and hit them in the face with it. Just get to know them. Understand who they are. Figure out what's important to them. Ask questions. Be curious about people. I think people see that if you're curious about them and if you're asking them questions and if you're interested in what they have to say and you're listening to them, That's the beginning of what a solid relationship looks like. Before you can invite them into your life or into your home, you got to get to know them a little bit. I think sometimes we just kind of cut it off because we're busy, because we got a lot of other priorities, because we got stuff going on. It's not that we hate the person or that, you know, we don't want to spend any time on the relationship. It's just that we're not thinking through the, the ramifications to the kingdom of God to in their lives by not engaging that place. Just be curious. Just ask questions. Here's one I ask all the time, especially a family that has a new baby or is pregnant or, you know, is overwhelmed with the children. I just say, hey, when they get to be the age of understanding these kinds of things, what are you going to tell them about God? I've asked that question 20 times, probably, to different types of people all over the place. What are you going to teach them about God? And what I find in those conversations is me and my spouse don't agree, is we have no idea, is we haven't ever thought of that question, or as in we're not really sure where we stand with God. And it opens up a conversation almost every single time. Just have a bag of good questions to talk to people about that kind of just take the conversation from like, just how is the weather, what is the sports thing happening right now, how bad are the Vikings, to... Come on, that was funny. To, 
to something, to something spiritual. Just figure out 10 questions. Talk about them in your small group. Hey, what are questions that you would use to take a, a conversation from just like surface level to something that just starts to step into spiritual? A lot of times I just say, hey, what church do you go to? I just assume church activity, and they go, I don't go to church. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, let me tell you about mine, you know? Like, it's not actually that hard to be curious and ask questions, right? I think sometimes we overthink it. So be curious. Second one is find common ground with people. And you're looking for the kind of common ground that's not, again, just necessarily surface level. What does it look like to build some bridges? Oftentimes, I will talk to people about being a dad. I'm very frustrated as a dad. I, I can talk about it forever. I can talk about how, you know, my kids are just so obnoxious. They talk during my sermon. Thank you. <laughs> no, I love being a dad, right? And it's natural for me to talk about with other people. And so if they're parents, I often talk to them about being parents. Right? Like, just find the common ground of things that you share with them, even if they're a different religion than you, even if you're, they're a coworker of yours, you can find things to talk about that lead you into those areas where you might need God's help to be a good parent. Right? And that kind of leads to those conversations. The third one, lead towards generosity. Be generous with people. God was unbelievably generous to us by forgiving us of our sins before we ever did anything to deserve it. Why would we ever hold anything back with anyone else? Why wouldn't we be over-the-top generous in every way possible to make the difference in the lives of other people? Lean towards generosity and be generous in everything, in conversation, in how you, especially if you invite people into your home, bring out the good stuff. Make sure it's a good bottle of wine. Make sure it's a good meal that you're, you're offering to someone. Invite them into, you know, and be generous with your life with people. The next one will be extend hospitality in the name of Jesus. Just understand that you're not just only doing this for the sake of doing it. Yes, you are doing it for the relationship, but it's okay to have the motive of wanting someone to be saved and to know Jesus. We, I think we've somehow vilified this and said, oh, it's not okay to have relationships with people where you have the ulterior motive of them getting saved. I have the ulterior motive of someone getting saved in every relationship that I have. I'm sorry, I will always have that. To me, it is the most important thing that could possibly happen in their lives. And if I want the best for them, I want them to know Christ. Period. Do it in the name of Jesus. Pray ahead of time. Pray during the time that you spend with them. Pray after as you follow up and process. Do it in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus has done so much for you. The next one will be pray for lost people. If you don't find your heart reaching to people who are others, then start to pray for them. Because what happens in prayer often is that we start to tune into how God feels for other people. And we start to get a burden for other people because God has a burden for other people. And we find that through prayer. I was uh, reading some um, from this one author this week, and they were talking about change and how we change. And they said there's like, there's like only three ways that we like really, really, really change. Okay, so here you go. Here's your little, your little amazing tidbit of the morning. One is through unbelievably deep relationships with like maybe only like five people. 
That's the best way to change is through relationships with people, but like five specific, five or less specific people that you are really sharing deeply with. By the way, if you don't have a few really good, deep friends who are spiritually encouraging you, you're probably not changing very much. Second one, boy, I'm going to forget now. I know the third one I want to say. The second one was, oh, this is a fantastic one. Invite this into your life and you'll change. The second one was suffering. But oftentimes we change the most as followers of Jesus when we suffer. It, for whatever reason, even more than when we're in joy and have everything working right and everything's going great and it's bliss, we don't really change that much in those times when we change during suffering. The third one was through deep contemplative prayer. That there is a thing in us that changes as we pray through some of the issues that we deal with. And if we aren't praying for lost people, how are we ever going to get God's heart and his burden for the people around us? Sometimes it is easy, just as easy as inviting somebody over for dinner and showing them hospitality in the name of Jesus, but we won't even get ourselves to that point unless we start to pray for them and allow our hearts to be burdened the way that God's heart is burdened. And the last one is repeat. Just keep doing it. Because God has called us to live this thing out. Not, not to just give it like lip service, but to be thinking about people who we can be reaching to who need an encouragement or need at our table or need some time from us that it would be the difference in their lives. And we can think it through and plan how to be uh, as hospitable as possible and reach out to them in the name of Jesus. And it might take multiple times over multiple years of you doing this over and over and over in someone's life, that it won't necessarily unlock for them the first time you do it. If you're one of those people that's like, great, I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to invite those neighbors over to my house. I invited them. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They said no to any, any you know, invites they got. Well, do it again. And keep doing it. And keep reaching. And keep praying. Because that's what it takes. It takes somebody who actually cares about and will continue to reach out to someone for it to make the difference in their lives. You probably had the difference made in your life through a significant relationship where someone reached out to you and continued to reach out to you until you were ready to receive it. And that's what it takes with other people as we practice hospitality. Okay, let me pray. God, help us to have your heart when it comes to being people of hospitality. Not only that we would be uh, practicing hospitality among one another as you call us to do, in fact, you give us so many guidelines about how we should treat one another. Help us to have that right. But then, God, would you burden our hearts for reaching out to others? And when it's uncomfortable, God, would you help us lean into it? And would you help us to be generous and to pray for people and to continue to reach and to continue to reach and to continue to reach? Not to give up and not to lose heart, God, but to continue to persevere in reaching out to those you've called us to make the difference for. We thank you for those relationships you've given us that just need us to continue to engage and continue to invite and continue to reach out to. And God, I pray that we would see fruit in those areas, that we would help people find their feet in relationship with you. God, we want to build your kingdom. 
And we want to invite those others into it. In Jesus' name, amen.